This past fall, I started my doctoral studies at Andrews University, and my cohort emphasis is on family ministry. And my project is focusing on mobile technology, which is primarily smartphones, and it might morph into just only smartphones, but I'm also thinking laptops and tablets, mobile technology and how they are affecting family relationships and relational intimacy. And the point, hold on a second. I'm sorry, honey, did you say something? Just, I'm sorry, one second. Oh, it's going to get up to a nice warm temperature today. That's wonderful. 51 degrees. What was that? Oh, sorry. Have you noticed that phenomenon? Just to give you an idea, last year, 2014, 70% of all cell phone users were on a smartphone, 70%. Also in 2014, a huge shift occurred in internet usage. Up until last year, everybody was using the internet on their PCs at home or, or their laptops or what have you. Starting in 2014, the smartphone took the lead in internet usage across the board. They said this is a mammoth shift. In the world today, 85% of humans on the planet are in range of a cell phone tower, 85%. This year, 2015, they expect that 2 billion people on the planet will be using a smartphone. Facebook gets an average of 6 billion like posts every day, 6 billion. And with the smartphone comes constant alerts and pings and notices, and there's even some chemical processes in the brain, almost like a drug addiction. When you get that ping, you get that high, and you have to check it out, and oh. As one book stated, we've never had a lifestyle that made screen communication the priority and made it acceptable behavior to ignore others. Screen time. Another book, Chapman and Pelican in their book, Growing Up Social, Raising Relational Kids in a Screen-Driven World, they say this, in 2000, before the smartphone existence, the average person's attention span, 12 seconds. 12 seconds. By 2014, our attention span has dropped by 40%, and now it's only 7 seconds. Currently, our society is facing an extinction of monotasking. The idea that as a parent, I can be at the playground, but I can be plugged into work too. Monotasking. Doing one thing at a time versus everything. Giving one's full attention to a person or an experience. And I know this has not been your experience, but generally speaking, what we're seeing is that smartphones are hijacking family time, meal time, couple time, time spent with God. In fact, the majority of people check their phone as the last thing they do before going to bed and the first thing they do when they wake up. Don't raise your hand. And now in the age of social media, the old adage used to be, know thyself. Today, with social media, it's been replaced with show thyself. Here I am with my friend. Here I am on the beach. 
here's what I'm having for breakfast. This is what my dog did I thought was pretty cute. You know, it amazes me how couples will put on their anniversary this long, rather um, intimate note to the other individual and post it on the World Wide Web. <laughs> Honey, I love you so much. You're the best wife a, a man could ever hope for, and I'm, I'm so happy, and they just go on and on and on. I'm thinking, why don't you just put a card on the pillow? <laughs> but no, they have to announce it to the whole world that I'm as happy as I can be. Did you know that Facebook is a major contributor to divorces today? All of a sudden, people are getting into contact with old friends, with old boyfriends, old girlfriends. They're feeling like their marriage is kind of at odds, and so here they're making emotional connections online. And so that same couple that's convincing the world three weeks later, oh, they're separated. As a society, we have been trained that the customer is always right. Go ahead. You deserve it. Everyone can be their own movie star on Facebook and control their image, their pictures, their posts. And they really have one common denominator. Me. Right? Now, please don't hear what I'm not saying. I own a smartphone. I believe in customer service. I get on Facebook from time to time, and it can be a wonderful tool for good. But by and large, could these things be making us more narcissistic? More self-centered? More independent? Time magazine seemed to think so just a few years ago. They had a cover their cover story was a girl on the front taking a big selfie, and it said, the me, me, me generation. They got a lot of flack for that from that generation. But is it really a generation, or is it kind of a new fad across the board? And even in the church, we often think about how I want it to be, rather than what would best suit others. So today, people shop for a church based on things that they want. Nice building, lots of programs, sophisticated worship service, instead of, perhaps, where they could be of greatest service. Are you listening now? What gifts do they have that they could bring to this church? Our churches have become consumeristic. Just give people what they want. Everything's decided on popularity, on culture, and preference, rather than on scripture and on mission and furthering the gospel in our sphere of influence. People are no longer asking, oftentimes, what they can do for their church, but what can the church do for me? Should we be surprised? 2 Timothy 3, 1 says, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of what? Themselves. The Spirit of Prophecy tells us that sin originated in self-seeking. In another place it says all sin is 
selfishness. Do you agree with that? I want to read you an excerpt from Desire of Ages. First chapter, first few pages, it's on 20 and 21. It says, there is nothing but the selfish heart of man that lives for itself. Nothing but the selfish heart of man that lives for itself. So how's it supposed to be? Well, she goes on, no bird that cleaves the air, no animal that moves upon the ground, but ministers to some other life. There's no leaf of the forest, no lowly blade of grass, but has its ministry. Every tree and shrub, every leaf pours forth the element of life without which neither man nor animal could live. And man and animal in turn minister to the life of the tree and shrub and leaf. So everything just kind of has its circle of life. Sometimes we call it that. The flowers breathe the fragrance and unfold their beauty in blessing to the world. The sun sheds its light to gladden a thousand worlds. The ocean itself, the source of all springs and fountains, receives the streams from every land, but takes to give. The mists ascend from its bosom, fall in showers to water the earth, that it may bring forth and bud. And she later calls this process the circuit of beneficence. Receiving to give. That's how the universe was meant to function. Until man comes along in his selfish heart that lives only for itself. Kind of like the Dead Sea. It just continues to get saltier and saltier and saltier. In 1 John, God is love. God is love. But what is love? Turn with me to a definition. You've looked at it before. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. It does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. You know, if we break that text down, well, what is envy? It's wanting for myself. What does it mean to parade itself? To show off. Apparently you haven't noticed how good I am. Puffed up, well that's arrogance, boastfulness, thinking about who? Self. Does not seek its own. Puts interests of others ahead of self. So I think we could safely say, according to the biblical definition, Love is selflessness. Putting others ahead of self. And love always manifests itself in an action. You have to do. What does John 3.16 say? For God so loved the world that he gave. Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Doesn't say for a time. 
in heaven we get new bodies, Christ will still have the scars. Ephesians 5.25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Love always results in giving. True love does not take, but true love gives. True love is self-sacrificing. John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You want to love? Lay your entire life down for someone else. That's the apex, if you will, of love. Selflessness. Self-sacrifice. We find it again in Philippians 2, 1 to 4. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, of any comfort, of love, of any fellowship of the Spirit, of any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. And notice, here's how you're to be loving. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. So love is not a flight of fancy. It's not just some cutesy feeling. It's a theological principle of the universe that allows you to receive so that you can give. Is embedded in the law of God. When Jesus was asked about the greatest commandment, he said, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. Give to God, give to others. There's not a third table of the law that says, now this is how you love you. Do we find that? You take care of you, you look out for number one. No one else is going to. So you look out for yourself. Who takes care of you according to God's law? Well, it's implied that if you take care of others, someone will take care of you. This is why Paul can talk about how love is a fulfillment of the law. Matthew 16, 24 to 28 says, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. If you look at the great controversy, the big difference between Christ and Satan, besides the creator creature, we have Christ who is selfless and Satan who is selfish. Every other thing in the universe is a war over this very simple idea. Which idea will win? Which governing principle of the universe will win out? Selflessness or selfishness? Does God have your best interest at heart? Or really you and only you have your best interest at heart? Turn also to Isaiah, another passage that you know. Isaiah 14. Verse 12 to 14, Isaiah chapter 14, 12 to 14. 
And there we read, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations, for you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mountain of the congregation. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High God. Turn also to Philippians. Chapter 2, verse 5. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Do we find a list of eyes? Who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. He didn't have to show off. Have you noticed that people that are confident in who they are in Christ, they don't have to talk about themselves. Jesus didn't walk around saying, Excuse me, did you notice I'm the Son of God? You probably know my dad. <laughs> he never had to flex that muscle. Who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. We mentioned earlier in the age of Facebook and Twitter and social media, everyone wants to make a name for themselves. Everyone wants to have an image, a look to them, a sound to them. They want to seem poetic or sporty or sassy or whatever. But everyone wants an image. And Christ here has none of that. He made himself of no reputation. Just a plain guy taking the form of a slave and coming in the likeness of men. Maybe that's why he stood out. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. The great difference between Christ and Satan. Christ operates exclusively on a platform of selfless and Satan operates exclusively on a platform of selfishness and Christ would give everything including his own life if necessary while Satan would rather take everything including Christ's life if it were necessary and this is the great divide and each of our characters will be formed after one or the other we would become more like Jesus and his selflessness or more like Satan and his selfishness. These are the only two options. That's why Paul says often you will either be a slave to Christ or you will be a slave to sin. It will either be one or the other. And Paul urges us, let this mind, the mind of Jesus, be in you. You can think of any sin you want. Selfish. You did that because you wanted it. It may be extreme forms of abuse or little petty theft, but you didn't want for God or for others, instead, for you. That's sin. In fact, I would propose to you that sin is a four-letter word. Self. 
One more text. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. 2 Timothy chapter 3. And in verse 1 we read. But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. Earthquakes, famines, war, political unrest. Do we see that happening? For men will be lovers of themselves. And then look what flows out from that now. Because that's the key. As soon as I become a lover of self, and here's the overflow, lovers of money, Boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, loves of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power because self lives within. Self reigns. And you may be thinking, yes, I know selfishness is sin, but we're in church. I gave money in the offering plate as it went by to further God's work. I'm involved in ministry. I do nice things for people, selfless things. I read my Bible. I pray daily. I volunteer in this community. I, 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 I. (laughs) Sounds a lot like Isaiah 14 all over again. Even in Christianity... I propose to you that we can miss it. We can slip into the idea that it's all about me. Jesus died for me. The Sabbath is for me. Bible helps me become a better person. God, you're supposed to bless me. And even in Christianity, we can become selfish and self-centered. Now, don't misunderstand me. All of those things are true, but I think that's deeper than that. Well, the law, it gives me directive in my life to know how to live as I should live. Yes, it does. But it's deeper than that. It's a transcript of the character of God. And it helps me to have that mind in me. So it's not about me, it's about Him. Well, the Sabbath, I love to enjoy the Sabbath. And he made it for me. Well, he did. And he wants you to enjoy it. He wants you to have that physical rest. But if it's just about physical rest, then when we go to heaven someday, the Sabbath will be obliterated because we have new bodies. We never get tired. No. Because at the core, the Sabbath isn't just about me. It's about him. It's about the fact that he is the God of the universe, that he created me, he fashioned me, he formed me. And I come as a way of showing the world that I am his and he is mine. It's a sign between us. So yes, it's about me, but it's about him. We tend to think about the cross. The whole point of the cross is me. Yes, Jesus died for my sin. And while I don't want to minimize that, in a much deeper sense, the cross is all about him. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's the, about the one and only one that is worthy. What does it say in Revelation 5 2? Who is worthy is the question that's asked. 
to open the scrolls. Who is worthy? Who is worthy? Until finally in verse 12, it tells us, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessings. If I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior, then it's about his selfless life. It's about his selfless act on the cross. It's about his matchless love. It's about his true character revealed by his own blood. It's about him. Yes, the cross is about us, but it's about him. Often we worry about the judgment. Will I be saved? Will I have been good enough? Will I stand in the judgment? Will I be vindicated? Will I go to heaven? Good news about the judgment is all about him as well. You can go all the way throughout scripture. If I accept Jesus, it's his life that's on trial, not mine. It's his reputation that's being called into question. It's his character, his deeds, his motives, his words, his actions. It's all about him. From the first accusation of Lucifer, Jesus' character has been on trial. Is God fair? Is he just? Is he true? Does he really have my best interest at heart? Is he truly selfless or is he really underneath it all? Is he just selfish? He wants it all for himself. You'll not surely die. God doesn't know what he's talking about. Is that what you were told? Don't be so naive. Your eyes will be open. You'll become like God. And he's been re-spinning that lie ever since. It's in the judgment that we find that God is fair, just, and true. And it is in the judgment we find out that God can be trusted. That he does have our best interest at heart. We think sanctification is all about us because it proves to the world that our hearts are sincere. And we talked about how if you love, you give. That's at the heart of love, to receive, to give. But it's deeper than that. Yes, if we truly love God, our lives will be changed, but it's not about bringing glory to us, nor is it earning anything. Rather, it is showing the power of God to change a life displayed before the entire universe that he can recreate and give us a new heart. It's about him and what he can do. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The God of the universe who who stooped down and formed and created out of nothing can do the same with you today. I don't know if I can be fixed. You've seen cars, and what do they call them sometimes? They're so bad, they're totaled. It's not worth fixing. I can't be fixed. This verse doesn't say you'll be fixed. This is not refurbished on Amazon. This is new. Behold, I will make all things new. I, the creator of the universe, will fashion something out of nothing and I will recreate in you. Sanctification is not about us, it's about him. Well, what about the thousand years in heaven? That's for me. Because then I get to see why this person is here and why this person is not here and all all my questions get to be answered. It's about me. Well, your questions will be answered. That's true, but it's bigger than that. 
If we put God in a box, it's bigger than that. It's about him. God, did you judge fairly in every single case? Because if the devil can find one person where you just slipped up, where you squeaked this person in, I got him. It's about him. And before anything is done once and for all, are you with me? Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. This is final. God says, I don't want there to be any question about me and my character, that I'm fair, that I'm just, that I'm true. A thousand years, a millennium, it's about him. And Jesus bids us as our example, our model, everything he received from the Father to give to mankind. And he bids us in Matthew 8 or 10, verse 8, freely you have received. Now what? Freely give. This is that circuit of beneficence to receive in order to give. This morning, your relationship with God and your marriage, with your kids, with this church, with this community, will you be selfish or selfless? Will you be a slave to sin or a slave to Christ? Will you regard yourself better than others or others better than yourself? Will you read Scripture through the lens of self or will you read Scripture through the lens of Jesus? On what will your mind dwell? On your inadequacies or on his promises? On the power of sin in your life or in the power of Jesus Christ? On living in a way that justifies yourself or living in a way that justifies Jesus Christ before a waiting world and a watching universe? Will your focus be inward or upward on receiving or giving? Will you be a slave to sin or a slave to Christ? Because the reality is like Peter walking on the water, if we focus on ourselves, we drown. We will drown. But if we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher. Don't you like that? The author and the finisher of our faith. I believe miracles will happen, just like Peter. Miracles will happen. They'll happen in our marriages, in our families, with our children, as we fix our eyes on Jesus. Miracles will happen in this church. No longer will it be political. No longer will it be about defending turf or position. As we fix our eyes on mission, on, on Jesus, the mission will be carried forward. Lives will be changed. And the work will be finished. Don't you long for that? With self, only human things are possible. But with Christ, all things are possible. Dear Lord, this morning we have seen how the core of all sin is self. And we've been convicted of just how selfish we can be. Even the beautiful three angels' message we have made all about us. But we have been reminded that it's all about you. Oh Lord.
Please forgive us. Forgive us of our pride and our arrogance, our conceited opinions. Lord, this morning we want to be crucified with Christ, that we no longer live, but that you and only you will live in us. That you will create in us a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within us. That our lives will be a living sacrifice that brings no mention of us, but brings all glory and honor and praise to you. May this be our prayer today and today and today until you come. In the power and authority of Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.